Welcome to Facts Matter, the podcast discussing Michigan's public policy through a research lens. Facts Matter is brought to you by the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, a 105-year-old independent nonprofit research organization that provides unbiased information on the significant issues concerning state and local government organization and finance. Our research can be found at crcmich.org. Now, let's dive into the facts that matter. Welcome to another edition of Facts Matter. My name is Joe Steele. Today we're spending some time speaking with Jill Roof, Research Associate for Local Affairs for the Research Council. Jill, good to talk to you again. Thanks. Good to be here. So the Research Council just released a report on Michigan's overlapping tax limitations and how they are creating an unsustainable municipal finance system. Report is now available at the Research Council website at crcmich.org. Invite people to go uh, and download it, but we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, today. Uh, local finances and taxes are no doubt a very complex issue. We should go back and review a note about taxation in general that the Research Council mentions a number of times, that effective tax policy meets the needs of both taxpayers and government, with both sides having predictability, government getting the revenue it needs while taxpayers see some limitations on how much they can be taxed. Uh, I wanna keep that in mind as that really is the crux of the report. Uh, looking back at 25 years of history, now that we've had proposal A in place for 25 years, along with the Headley Amendment and some other constitutional limits. So I wanna just lay that groundwork first before we get into this discussion about local taxes and tax limitations. Um, so Jill, can we explain those three limits, Proposal A, Headley Amendment, and the constitutional limits in place, just so we know what is what we're dealing with from the get-go. Uh, yeah, states generally limit property taxes in one of three ways. Um, Michigan's property taxes and limitations are so complicated because and restrictive because we employ all three types of these tax limitations. Uh, the first is rate limits. And that just puts an upper boundary on the tax rate that a jurisdiction can levy. So we have uh, tax rate limitations written into the Michigan Constitution um, and to state law, like the county or the city charter act limits how much cities can, um, what the tax rate that cities are allowed to levy. We also have an assessment limit. That's what proposal A is. They provide a ceiling on the amount of annual assessment increases. So in other words, they limit how much a taxpayer's property value can increase year to year. So Michigan's limit is set at inflation as measure, measured by the consumer price index or 5%, whichever is lower. Um, it was passed in 1994 and uh, inflation has never been over 5% since then. We also have what is called a levy limit and that's what the Headley Amendment is. It was passed in 1978, and it restricts how much tax revenue a jurisdiction can take in unit-wide, so how much tax revenue the whole city can take in year over year. So if tax revenues for the whole jurisdiction increase greater than inflation, everyone's tax rate is rolled back. So there's a lot going on here with all three of these limitations in place, and I think taxpayers may say, okay, great, there's... Uh limits on how much uh, I can be taxed and how much, uh, you know, has certain thresholds have to meet uh, before, uh, before the taxes get rolled back, as you, as you mentioned. Uh, but in, in practice, it may not be as beneficial. The title of the report may say it all, which says mm -hmm. it's unsustainable. Um, uh, so can you walk us through the process of the report, what you looked at, uh, what the data told you, and uh, 
how those having those combined systems in place uh, reached the title of unsustainable. Yes, um, this was a pretty big study. We used, like you said, we used 25 years of actual property value and tax data for various communities throughout the state to better understand the interaction of the two major tax limitations, the Headley Amendment and Proposal A, and what their individual and combined effects are on the property tax base and rate. So we found six counties with the property value and tax data records back to 1994. Mm -hmm. Those were Chippewa, Jackson, Leelanau, Lenaway, Oakland, and Ottawa counties. Um, and we looked at 41 different local governments from each of these six counties, so 41 total, and we separated them into five different categories. So we looked at how the limitations affected counties generally. Mm -hmm. Then we had a group of urban communities. We looked at suburbs, um, exurbs, which are uh, less dense, further further out than the suburbs, but still connected to a central city, and then how they impacted rural communities. So we, we categorized them like this because while 41 communities can't represent all 1800 plus local governments in Michigan, this allowed us to find sufficient commonalities uh, in the characteristics and findings to generalize beyond just the units studied. We used each local government's 1993 authorized tax rate. Mm -hmm. We did that to hold the tax rate constant and show how the limitations impact tax revenues with a stable tax rate. So in reality, uh, tax rates cha can change with expiration of millages, voter approval, overriding tax rate rollbacks, mm -hmm. um, lots of things. But we kept a stable tax rate to keep that aspect out of the changes and just show how the limitations impact tax revenues. So we, we applied the 1993 tax rate to actual property values, which before, this is where it gets complicated, before Proposal A would have been state equalized value, which represents market value. Once Proposal A was passed, it introduced taxable value, which is a modified value based on when you bought your property. So now taxes are levied on taxable value, not market value, mm -hmm. because individual property taxes can only increase by inflation. And that was part of Proposal A. Yes. So we looked at all this data within, with the 1993 tax rate to quantify how the tax limitations operate under three different scenarios. One, we looked at them if there were no limitations. So this is a property tax scenario based just on market value and the 1993 millage rate. So it provides an upper bound to show how much property tax revenue would be collected with no limitations to moderate growth. Mm -hmm. The second scenario is just the Headley Amendment. So we looked at how that alone impacts property tax revenues based on the 1993 millage rate and Headley Amendment rollbacks. So the Headley Amendment required us to, required assessors to calculate a millage reduction fraction every year. So if your property value, if the property value for the entire unit increases greater than inflation, the millage rate needs to be rolled back. So with just Headley, you're doing a millage reduction fraction and rollbacks based on market value. But the, so Headley was Headley was implemented in 1978 and we're looking at yeah. 1993. So Headley Amendment was still in effect, even though we're using yeah. 1993 data. Can you explain how that might, uh, how that is working? 
Well, and that's the third scenario. It, okay. it, it ties together. So in 1994, Proposal A was passed and it was layered on top of Headley. So it didn't eliminate the Headley tax rate rollbacks, but it instituted taxable value. So now an individual property owner's tax rate can only increase by inflation or 5%, whichever is less. Mm-hmm. When you sell a property, then it can pop back up to market value. So as you know, when property values are growing quite a bit, there can be quite a gap between what your taxable value is and what the market value is. So when that property is sold, it pops back up. And that's where Headley comes in because those pop-ups can cause tax revenues for the whole unit to grow faster than inflation. And then the tax rate is rolled back. So the scenario with Headley and Proposal A reflects current law, both limitations with the 1993 millage rate, but the yearly millage reduction fraction, the rollbacks are calculated based on taxable value, not the market value like with Headley. Going back to the first scenario, if that was no limitations, does that still include uh, the Headley Amendment, which is, uh, nope. or we're looking at zero limitations whatsoever? Zero limitations. It's it. just okay. market value, tax rate. Okay. Okay. Um, so it, it's very complicated, and there's a lot of data in the report. Like, you you know, you have to calculate this millage reduction fraction in these scenarios, and it's based on the appreciation or depreciation of existing property values. So it takes out new development, um, it, it segregates additions and losses, um, and calculates how, if, and how much the millage rate needs to be rolled back based on just the Headley Amendment or the Headley and Proposal A limitations. Right, because I think it's noted in the report that there's one way that municipalities are, are increasing their revenue is by building out, uh, yes. or trying to build out, and that puts some limitations on, you know, older communities, communities that are, you know, completely built out, they don't really have any room to do that anymore. So their revenues are, are kind of kept down by that, uh, by these limitations, right? I don't want to put the carta in front of the horse, but, uh, but that's what, that was the, yeah. uh, the one of the, one of the, uh, one of the issues that came up. Yes, yes. The Headley Amendment, it restricts growth to new development. So without new development, you, your, your revenues can't grow faster than inflation. So that, that is one of the, the findings we came to. So we took these scenarios and then we plotted them. We plotted each scenario out for the 41 different units of local government in the study and looked at how they generally impacted each grouping, the counties, urban communities, et cetera. And so we found, not surprisingly, that the tax limitations restrict revenues and keep them well below that, what they would be based solely on market growth. Revenues in both scenarios with limitations were similar up until the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. So whether you had just Headley or Headley and Proposal A, revenues were fairly similar mm-hmm. up until the Great Recession. At that point, having both limitations, having both Headley and Proposal A, started leading to collecting more tax revenue for most local governments in the study than having just Headley would have. So this was... Um, surprising to us and suggests that the adoption of Proposal A served to lessen some of the impact of the Great Recession. It allowed taxable values to keep increasing when market values were declining because Proposal A instituted that large gap between market value and taxable value. Mm -hmm. So instead of a compounding effect where Proposal A compounded the effects of Headley, we found that it had a mitigating effect and lessened the tax revenue decline caused by the Great Recession. 
That sounds like a good thing. Yes. Well, this and it's due to the fact that Proposal A and the use of taxable value rather than market value kept property values lower. But it also kept tax rates higher because when you're calculating your reduction fraction based on market value, you're reducing your, you're rolling back your tax rate much more than when you're calculating it based on taxable value, which is limited to inflationary growth every year. So once the Great Recession, you know, you had before it, you had a lot of increase in property values, mm -hmm. but then you had a huge decline in property values. So once property values started declining, declining during the recession, the scenario with, with Proposal A and Headley limitations allowed local governments to levy higher tax rates than if you just had Headley. Headley would have alone would have rolled back the tax rate more. So it is complicated. But one example, um, if you look at one of the cities included in our study was Farmington Hills. Mm -hmm. So when you calculate yearly a millage reduction fraction based on market value, that would be just Headley, no, no taxable value, no proposal A, the tax rate over the period of the study is rolled back 36%. Mm. When it's calculated based on taxable value and not the market value, the tax rate is only rolled back 6%. So it looks like it looks like the um, the Great Recession really shown what these limitations, the impact these limitations can have, and the true the true impact they can have, where tax revenues didn't quite fall as far as they might have without the limits, but also uh, the tax revenues can't recover as quickly as they would have without limits either. So, uh, is that what we saw, or is is was it somewhere was it somewhere else? No, yep, that is correct. Um, we found, you know, without the Great Recession and the property value declines that occurred during it, uh, the numbers might look very different. So the recession with its precipitous drop in property values led to the Headley Amendment tax rate rollback limitations being particularly severe. It's because, as I was saying, the strong growth in property values before the recession would have caused millage rates to be rolled back so much without Proposal A and taxable value. Then when the property values fell, you were left levying at a much lower millage rate. So that's how you get to lower tax revenues. Um, Post-recession, revenues under both limitations are not keeping pace with inflation. So the relationship between the appreciation of property values and tax revenues is diminishing. Um, and it's important to remember that the Great Recession was a unique event. Most recessions do not impact property values. Um, but for these rare circumstances, the combination of declining property values and Headley Amendment tax rate rollbacks might not have been as severe. So even though Adoption of Proposal A served to mitigate some of the effects of the recession on property values and tax revenues by creating this like reservoir of taxable value that governments could tap into when market values were declining. Um, it's not necessarily prudent to base future tax policy on rare once in a century type events like the Great Recession. Sure, so it looks like, I mean, looks like the limits kind of helped protect the definition we talked about earlier, which is why we brought that up in the beginning, which is uh, we want to make sure that uh, good tax policy benefits both the tax uh, payer as well as the government in terms of stability uh, and, and um, taxpayers seeing limits. 
uh, on how much they can be taxed and uh, governments seeing that they can, in fact, have the revenue that they need to provide the services they want to provide. So didn't we see that happen with the uh, Great Recession in that it kind of kept that stability uh, and didn't see as drastic of a, of a decrease uh, as it would have without the limits? Granted, we understand that the revenues aren't coming back as quickly, but there seemed to be more of a of a stable stable for both stability for both sides there. Um, yes, that could be said, and I I do think what hasn't been understood, and what we didn't necessarily understand until doing this study, is how the adoption of Proposal A did help um, to keep local government revenues more stable than they might have been. Um, without it, uh, Headley, while it leads to tax rate rollbacks, it's responding to market values. So it, it's responding more to increases and decreases in market values. Um, so even though the Great Recession could not have been predicted when Proposal A was adopted, having both limitations did help revenue stay more stable. Um, they didn't grow as quickly as they might have pre-recession, although the limitations were fairly similar pre-recession. Um, but they definitely didn't drop as much as they would have during the recession. Um, you can see in, in outstate communities, some never saw substantial declines in taxable value at all, They like you did in Southeast Michigan. Right. Um, again, this is a unique, this was a unique event that is unlikely to repeat in the near future. And we are seeing revenues grow more slowly at post-recession. So when we talk about uh, being unsustainable, uh, is it because that it's, as you mentioned earlier, it's just unwise to base tax policy on things like property value that can be uh, at risk of big fluctuations like that, even if they are once in a generation type of events? Um, it's definitely if you're basing property, you know, tax policy on market value, you're, you're opening yourself up to fluctuations. Um, and before the great recession, you know, that that's largely why some of these tax limitations were adopted because we were seeing such large growth that um, taxpayers were adopting limitations to keep their taxes from growing so much. That's not sustainable either. Um, so okay. large, large yearly increases and large, large yearly decreases, neither one are sustainable from a taxpayer perspective or from a local government perspective. That's where we get into the, the stability and, and consistency part that we, mm -hmm. talked about, uh, that we talked about earlier. These limitations, especially Proposal A type limitations, really um, help with predictability in revenues. You also noted in the report that due to the limits, uh, you know, build out, uh, built out communities are not being able to are not able to realize additional revenue unless properties change ownerships and they have the pop-ups as as we talked about. So they have limited new constructions. We're talking particularly in older older communities that you know may have no extra room to to build out. So they're they're not seeing uh, increased revenue based on new uh, construction, which is really the only way for them if uh, if we're keeping revenues within or under inflation. Uh, so can you talk about that a little bit and how communities have actually dealt with that? Our, our main point is that the current system is not sustainable. You know, revenues, local units cannot see their property, their property tax revenues increase 
greater than inflation, and in fact, we're seeing increases lower than inflation with the two limitations together, but they can't see increases without new development. So those like exurb type communities that are further from the central city, but have high um, population growth um, and have land to make into suburbs and things like that, they can see they're seeing greater growth because the system rewards new development. So that is not sustainable for a few reasons. One, it encourages urban sprawl, which um, doesn't really benefit anyone and strains our resources even further. But also, you know, land is finite. At some point, you know, there you, you have more built in uh, inner suburbs that are built out that that can't develop. And so if they're if you have a built out community, but they're uh, revitalizing their downtown and they're putting money into improving uh, the property values and things like that, they can't see the benefit of that because when properties sell and those those values pop back up to uh, market value, the, the, the entire unit's tax rate is being rolled back. So, you know, you have maybe like inner ring suburbs that are dealing with this now, but it's, or what a point I make in the report, you know, you have in South Michigan, Southeast Michigan is large, is more built out than West Michigan, which is booming and growing, but it will get to the same point as Southeast Michigan. You can only have, there's, like I said, there's only so much opportunity for new development and we need a system that rewards communities for um, revitalization and investment in their communities. Um, we've also seen that a solution for some local governments has been levying more property taxes, increasing tax rates, levying, levying dedicated millages, things like that. Um, that's not sustainable either. Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, Michigan has tax rate limitations written into the state constitution and state law. Um, and while local governments have options, through, for increasing taxes with dedicated millages, um, things like special assessments, things like that, they will run up against these tax rate limitations. Um, and also constantly raising tax rates is not good for attracting business and residents either. As I say, taxpayers may eventually start saying no. Uh, yes. The thing you mentioned in the report was in uh, May of 2021, 79% of the local um, tax raising proposals passed, which is maybe surprising to 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 many people that such a high rate of uh, taxpayers in those communities uh, voted to increase their uh, their taxes um, uh, through uh, and, you know, dedicated millages or whatever they happen to happen to be, probably mm -hmm. because they're uh, running up against some of these uh, some of these limitations and need the additional revenue. Is that is that accurate to say? Um, yeah, and I would say tax uh, rate increases tend to be more successful when they're for roads or for specific things that taxpayers can understand. They can see we need we need to improve our roads. They'll pass a millage for road funding mm -hmm. um, and things like that. But the ability to keep levying new dedicated millages and keep increasing tax rates is limited. Right. That that's not. You can't you can't do that indefinitely. Okay, so we've run into uh, why why um, we're calling it unsustainable because of the 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 limitations, the um, uh, actually incentive 
to 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 build out in communities and and sprawl you know or con continue you know urban sprawl um uh because we're not getting uh you know benefits unless there's new construction and even if we are even if there's a lot of you know property increase and property sales in your community the pop-ups um uh don't necessarily benefit because they uh they force the the rollbacks um mm -hmm. And any number of other things that we've covered today. What are the options? What can we do if this is unsustainable? What are uh, what are some suggestions uh, that uh, or ways that this can be tackled to make it more sustainable? Yeah, in in our report we discuss four different policy options. Um, the one is to reinstate something called Headley roll ups. So prior to 1993 and prior to Proposal A, if property values were declining or not, in, not keeping pace with inflation, mm -hmm. the tax rate could be rolled back up, never above its authorized millage rate. But say if you have one mil tax and it's been rolled back to 0.995, if you have a year with um, property values decline property value declines, that tax rate could be rolled back up. Okay. Um, the ability to do that was eliminated through state law. Um, so that is one option that's been discussed. Um, our data looking at doing that show that while allowing for roll-ups would lead to more revenue collected overall for local mm -hmm. units, mm -hmm. the impact is fairly small. Okay. Um, Another option we discuss is to eliminate the Headley Amendment limitation on tax revenue growth. So once we adopted Proposal A, we've protected the individual taxpayer from seeing their yearly taxes increasing faster than inflation. Mm -hmm. And that makes the need for the Headley tax rate rollbacks less clear. Uh, with both limitations, as you just said, Headley is triggered when property is sold and taxable value pops back up to market value. Mm -hmm. So if you eliminate the Headley limitation, um, you're allowing local units to see that growth from property sales and taxable values popping back up to market value. So this is an option. It's difficult because Headley is written into the constitution. So it would require changing the state constitution, which would need to get it on the ballot through the legislature or a ballot proposal and then require a statewide vote of the people. It's a process. Yes. <laughs> um, another option we discuss is changing the method of measuring yearly tax revenue growth. Mm -hmm. Right now, the limit is set at inflation as measured by the Consumer Price Index. Mm -hmm. um, that's more restrictive than other measures uh, that are used in some other states. One option would be link linking growth to this to the state's average personal income, so allowing revenue to grow at the same rate as personal income grows. Mm -hmm. Another option discussed is linking it to the Bureau of Economic Analysis Implicit Price Deflator for state mm -hmm. and local governments. Mm -hmm. This measures the changes in cost of goods and services purchased by state and local governments, and it has grown more than the consumer price index over the last 25 years. Any changes made to measuring yearly tax revenue growth are face the same challenges as I just discussed. It's written into the constitution. So it would require a constitutional change. 
That's what I was going to ask. How difficult is it to change, you know, from CPI to something else? Yeah. Um, and then we, we discuss another option is that we need to look at the fact that maybe local governments, what they need is not more property taxes, but more tax options. Uh, local governments in Michigan generally are overly dependent on the property tax. All local units fund it. And for many in the state, for most, it's their only local tax source. Mm -hmm. um, no changes to the tax limitations are going to change that fact. An ideal tax structure would produce revenue that is stable through economic downturns, like the property tax generally is, except for the Great Recession but also revenue that's more responsive to the local economy, like sales or income taxes. And, and that's a major issue for local governments is that they, they don't have the ability to levy taxes that are more responsive to their local economy. This is something we discuss in a lot of our reports. Um, we've talked about a lot and, you know, it, Michigan local governments would benefit from a more diversified tax structure. Um, some problems arise that the more diversified a local tax structure is, is the smaller the taxing unit, the greater opportunities for economic competition. So, you know, we might wanna look into solutions like reforming state revenue sharing so that more the state is collecting diverse revenues, but sharing them with local governments um, and not continually cutting state revenue sharing um, or looking at increasing local taxing authority at a more regional level, like a county level or something like that. But, um, you know, we, we say in the title of this report that the, the property tax limitations create an unstable municipal finance system, but we've said for many years that the property tax alone is not a sufficient funding source for local government. Yeah, it was noted uh, previously in a, in a podcast earlier this year about the diversification of, of, uh, of, tax, of taxes, uh, particularly at the county and municipal, municipal level, uh, could be helpful uh, mm -hmm. to, to help shore up you know, municipal governments and, and allowing them to, uh, to not be so reliant on, on property taxes. So this is not a, not a new issue, at least from the, from the Citizens Research Council. No, and it's it's another way that Michigan is generally more restrictive than a lot of other states that allow their local governments to levy more types of taxes. Yeah. I hope that people will read the report or at least the summary because this is a very complex issue. Um, but I do think it's important that we review these types of this tax data on limitations and things like that to see how they are actually working, not just how we think they are working. No, absolutely. And I encourage folks to uh, to take a look at this report uh, and go back and, and visit the uh, the, re the blog and the podcast that were earlier this year about the uh, the need for or the suggestion of um, uh, diversified uh, taxes for uh, for county and municipal governments. Good, good options and good suggestions that were noted there as well. So thank you very much, Jill. Uh, appreciate your time uh, diving into into this uh, complex issue. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening. And hopefully everyone goes to uh, crcmich.org to download the report. So we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye. Along with this podcast, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan produces blogs, research papers, op-eds, and other resources to better inform Michigan citizens and policymakers. As an independent nonprofit, our work is funded by Michigan corporations, foundations, and individuals like yourself. If you like what you've heard, please consider making a donation by visiting crcmich.org and 
clicking on Get Involved. Thank you for your support.